Hey, it's Chris Freeland, and you're listening to the Doxology Bible Church Podcast. If you want to know more about who we are or learn to connect with us, please visit doxology.church. Most of all, we hope the following message will help you take the next step in your faith journey, whatever it is. In Scripture, it says that Stephen looked up to heaven and he saw God, and he saw Jesus standing next to his father, looking at him, which was confirmation that in this moment when Stephen is dying, he saw Jesus. And that was exactly what I needed to hear so that I could know that when whatever was happening to Molly, that she knew that he was with her. And that in an instant, from the moment she was alive to the moment she died, she was in the arms of Jesus. And and that's what I carried with me to help quiet the fears that would come up in my mind. She wasn't alone. He was with her in that moment, and she has been with him ever since that moment. Doxology Bible Church is proud to present EverStory, launching wherever you listen to podcasts on June 6th. EverStory is a weekly, seasonal podcast featuring Christ-centered stories of hope and transformation, told by people just like you. No chit-chat, just raw, powerful stories. Stories inspire us to connect with each other in real, tangible ways. With stories, we're able to glorify a God who relentlessly pursues us. Mark 16:15 tells us to go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole of creation. Stories embody who we are as Christians. Without them, Paul's letters would have never been shared. Without stories, a person with Christ in their heart might never find the courage to bring the word to their neighbor. Without stories, the Great Commission never occurs. Check in with us often as we introduce stories about the way Jesus' radical love is moving in truly awesome ways. Find EverStory wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, follow Doxology Bible Church on Facebook or Instagram at Doxology Bible. Want to share your story or know someone who might? Send us an email to stories at doxology.church. Because everyone has a story. Hey, it's Chris Freeland, and you're listening to the Doxology Bible Church Podcast. If you want to know more about who we are or learn to connect with us, please visit doxology.church. Most of all, we hope the following message will help you take the next step in your faith journey, whatever it is. It's Chris Freeland, and you're listening to the Doxology Bible Church Podcast. If you want to know more about who we are or learn to connect with us, please visit doxology.church. Most of all, we hope the following message will help you take the next step in your faith journey, whatever it is. Well, good morning, Doxology. It's great to worship with you this morning in your living room, on the patio with your neighbors, wherever you're joining us from uh, today. I almost always almost say or in your bedroom, because I know that's where some of you are doing this, but it just so feels so weird to say. However, and wherever you're joining us, in-person has always been God's design for several different reasons. But for this really bizarre temporary season, when that's not wise for some of us, I am so, so grateful that we're not missing everything, thanks to the wonders of technology. 
I just keep thinking about James. In fact, grab a Bible and meet me there, James chapter 4. We've been making our way through this letter that the very first leader, the very first church ever wrote to his congregation, a church that had gathered together and then all of a sudden had to scatter. Even though our circumstances are different, they were scattered because of persecution, we're scattered because of a global pandemic, I keep thinking about James praying for the people and the church that he loves, knowing they're scattered and under immense pressure wanting to encourage them personally and pastor them wisely through the most challenging season most of them had ever experienced and to cast vision for them so they didn't waste it. He couldn't record a video and shoot it out to all of them at the same time with a chat feature so they could interact. He had to write them a letter. Harder for him, better for us because we have it. So over the past several weeks, we've been making our way through this letter, looking at 2,000-year-old wisdom from the half-brother of Jesus for how to do better than survive in a pressurized, tension-filled world. He's showing us how to leverage the pressure to develop us so that when the rest of the world gets back to normal, we emerge as anything but normal in all the right ways. And if you've been with us for all or part of this letter, isn't that the vision that James casts? Isn't that the vision that you have for your life? He invites us to leverage pressure like weights in a gym, not to live a life free from pressure, but to find a life that's free under pressure. I want that. I want to be the kind of person who's quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to become angry. That's the kind of person I want to be, to have control over my mouth, to be a peacemaker, not just a peacekeeper or a peace affirmer, to have supernatural wisdom when I look at the world around me and I don't know what to do with it anymore, to navigate conflict in my life in a way that I come out on the right side of the issue and the right side of the relationship to develop genuine spiritual strength under pressure and tension, not just muscle that looks good when I strut around the spiritual gym with other spiritual people and flex for myself in the spiritual mirror. That kind of vision is the vision that James casts. And I want to be that person. All of us would love to be spiritually strong. You know what else is true? All of us would love to have rock-hard abs and buns of steel. We've got the gym memberships and the workout clothes and the Suzanne Summers workout tapes and our VHS library to prove it. The only thing we don't have to prove it is, yeah, rock-hard abs and buns of steel. And in a tension-filled, pressurized world, most of us would say, I'd love to have spiritual strength. I've got the church membership and the t-shirts and the Bible studies on my shelf to prove it. The only thing I don't have to prove it is, Yeah, spiritual strength. That's what James is going to address as we get to the home stretch of his letter. Now that the vision is clear, spiritual strength, James is going to show us the two big things that can keep us from getting there in a world like ours. Next week, he's going to talk about discouragement. What do you do when it feels like it's taking too long? This week, he's going to talk about another gigantic threat to spiritual strength. Today, He's going to talk about distractions. Distractions. Here's the big point of what James is going to say. Then he's going to show us the two most common distractions for people like us during times like these. The big point is this, if you're taking notes. Unfocused intentions will find unending distractions. Unfocused intentions will find unending distractions. Isn't that what keeps you from rock hard abs? 
all of us have good intentions. I'm going to eat better and exercise more. I'm going to get up early and go for a run or get to the gym tomorrow. But then my day fills up and a meeting request comes in and there are chips and salsa on the table and somebody has to eat. I forgot about the deadline and I can't get up early or go for a run or get to the gym like I hoped. But it's okay because I fully intend to do it tomorrow. James says the same thing happens when it comes to developing spiritual strength in a world like ours. And he gives us the two biggest distractions that he sees. For the first one, look at chapter 4, beginning in verse 13. He says this, now listen. Okay, kids, are you with me? That's a strong word. It means pay attention. In fact, it's the words your parents would use with you when they give you instructions for how to cross a busy street. Okay, they're saying, listen carefully. That's what James says. Listen carefully. You who would say today or tomorrow, we'll go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why? You don't even know what will happen tomorrow. What's your life? You're a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it's the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it's sin for them. Okay, write this down. Our intentions get distracted by our plans. James uses the illustration of a person in business who says, I've got it all planned out. He's confident in his life's direction. We'll go to this city or that city. He's confident in the timing of all of his plans. When we get there, we're going to be there for a year. He's confident in his strategy. We'll carry on business and make money. And what's the problem with that kind of thinking? It implies we know all the variables. It implies we control all the variables. That we're the one with the master plan who understands everything there is to understand about the world. James says that kind of thinking is arrogant because it implies we know and control a lot more than we do. In fact, James says, quick, what's going to be trending on Twitter tomorrow morning? How many of you had survive global pandemic as a New Year's resolution on the 2020 strategic plan for your business? James says, we don't even know what's going to happen tomorrow. We can't control all the variables. How can we confidently state what our lives are going to look like in a year? So in some ways, James says, the plan that this guy articulates is way too far out. How can you say where you're going to be doing in a year when you don't even know the plan for tomorrow? But notice, in another sense, the plan the guy comes up with is way too close in. James says, why is it that your master business plan only goes out a year? I mean, think about your life. Your life, it's like a mist. It's just a puff of smoke. It appears for a little while and then it's gone. Those things you're focused on next year are just blips on the radar of eternity. Why spend all your energy and effort and focus positioning yourself for where you want to be in one year view instead of anchoring your focus and your plans with a five billion year view. James says, for all of us, we ought to use a different grid when we think about our life and our plans. One that's anything but normal. See, normal says, I'm the captain of my fate, the master of my fate, the captain of my soul. I'm in charge of the outcomes. I determine my future. I can control my world. 
James says, that's normal. But normal will lead you towards a future of frustration and futility because it doesn't operate in reality. And come on, we of all people ought to know that and show that right now. Like we're not in control. This is not all there is. And that's good news for us. So let's aim our life there. That's what James says in verse 15. He says, instead, you ought to say, if it's the Lord's will, we'll live and do this or that. Now, he's not just given us a superstitious phrase to stamp on our plans, just to make our arrogant plans appear more spiritual or to give us a safety net so that we don't have egg on our face if the plans don't work out. He's given us a grid to think through, something to commit to as we plan for the future. See, James isn't saying don't plan. He's saying make sure you plan well. If your focus is narrow and small and fading and fragile, it's not a good plan. You'll live your whole life discouraged and distracted. Discouraged because your plans depend on variables you didn't control. And distracted because you're so busy chasing plans for today that you never make progress toward forever. Especially in a world under pressure. We find ourselves out of tomorrows before they ever become today's. Isn't that the way life works for us? You ever feel like a dog chasing its tail? Kids, you ever watch the dog chase its tail? It never catches it. All you watch is constant activity that comes from anxiety of trying to grab a hold of something that he'll never catch. If you've ever watched it, you know at the end of the chase, it doesn't happen because he catches it. It comes when he's finally too exhausted to chase it anymore. I don't know about you, I think some of us feel that. In fact, for some of us, the hardest part of this whole season has been the inability to make plans because the whole world changes every 45 minutes. But James says, maybe that's not an obstacle to you finding spiritual strength. Maybe it's an opportunity to refocus your direction without the distractions. I mean, you flat out can't plan your next month. Too many variables, things outside your control. James is saying, What a chance to remember our lives have never been under our control. And that's a good thing. That God wants better for us than a life that depends on us. And this is a perfect season to get a hold of that truth where the rubber hits the road in real life. I'm unable to control variables and outcomes in this world to ensure what I want for next year. So how can I invest my time my thinking and my conversations and the aim of my life to reflect what God wants for the next 5 billion years. What conversation could I have today that 5 billion years from now I'll be glad I didn't get distracted from? What could I prioritize on my calendar? What opportunity could I seize during this season that I would have been distracted from in another season so that I don't run out of tomorrows before one finally turns into today? And that's the way it works for us. We say, I want to be spiritually strong, but I just graduated from high school. I'm going to live a little, sow my wild oats, enjoy the college experience, get a career off the ground. Then I'll get my life squared away spiritually. I'll start developing myself spiritually then. Or, you know, we just got married. We want to get used to each other and enjoy married life, travel a little bit. Then we'll start figuring out spiritual priorities. The kids are young. Like they need a lot of attention these days. We're we're tired. Yeah, if we were really paying attention to forever today, we'd make some different decisions, but we got lots of time for that tomorrow. 
We got to get things under control. Then we'll pay attention to all those things. Once the kids start sleeping through the night or get out of diapers or go off to school, when they get out of the house, once we finally retire, and then before we know it, we're out of tomorrow's. Life goes so fast and the pressure doesn't ever let up. It just changes location and direction. James says, if we wait until we have everything under control, we'll spend our whole life anxious and in a flurry of activity, we'll run out of strength, not develop strength in a tension-filled, pressurized world. We can get distracted by our plans. Look at the second thing James says can distract us from ever developing spiritual strength. And he has some strong words to say. Chapter 5, verse 1. Now listen. Okay, there's those words again. Listen carefully, you rich people. Weep and wail because of the misery that's coming on you. Your wealth has rotted. Moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. That's strong, huh? You've hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. You've condemned and murdered the innocent one who was not opposing you. Okay, that's strong. Here's the idea. And it's related to the first one. We get distracted by our plans and we get distracted by our possessions. James paints a picture of people whose hope is wrapped up in what they have or what they can get for themselves here and now. Their hope is found in their possessions and their stuff. Now, when James says rich people, you can tell from the context, he has a specific group of rich people in mind. It's not just the people for whom money has come into their hands. It's the people for whom money has gone to their hearts. You could tell by the way he describes them. It's not just that they're investors or savers or inheritors of money. The Bible indicates it's wise to be a good investor and to save money. It's a blessing to be an inheritor. Jesus affirms that. But in verse 3, James says the problem with these people is they're hoarders of money in the last days. When the Bible talks about the last days, it's talking about the time that started when Jesus ascended into heaven and promised he would return any moment. And here's the idea. These people viewed their resources. And notice he's not just talking about money. It's gold and silver and clothes. They saw all of their stuff, their possessions, as an ultimate thing. Their whole life revolved around having stuff and getting more stuff. No matter what it cost somebody else, they lived as if possessions were an ultimate thing. And you understand, you don't have to be a certain salary to be a rich person like that. You don't have to get to a certain level to be a rich person like that. It's not like you cross the $50,000 threshold and suddenly you're rich and this becomes an issue for you. See, the issue isn't how much stuff you have. The issue is how much your stuff has you. I've known people who live below the poverty line for whom stuff was an ultimate thing. And I've known millionaires for whom stuff wasn't an ultimate thing at all. So how do you know? James gives us the litmus test, the passage when he describes the attitude this kind of person gets when their stuff goes away. In fact, he says, imagine the future. Imagine all of that food that you've stored up rots because you didn't eat it. Imagine a moth comes into your closet and eats all of your favorite clothes that you bought to be popular or fit in with the people that you want to be around. 
Imagine all of the gold and silver stuff you have tarnishes and corrodes. The stock market goes to zero. Imagine all your stuff goes away. How do you feel about that? Would it cause you to weep and wail and be miserable in the sense that it would leave you hopeless? Or is it just stuff? If it disappeared, would you still have hope? And you know what? Only you can answer that question. He goes on to say, imagine the people that work for you. Imagine they do an expose on the way they were treated by you. Imagine the people you interacted with as you got the stuff you got, however you got it. The people that worked for you or with you. What would they say about the source of your strength and how you used it? Would they testify against you? If someone called your CPA or the guy in the Statue of Liberty costume that does your taxes and ask him where your heart was, would he say, that's a woman who has stuff? Or that's a woman whose stuff has her? That's a guy who had some money come into his hands. Or that's a guy who had some money go to their heart. Would it be possible for you to share your faith with someone who counts your stuff starting with the numbers they see. James says, imagine the future. If you think too highly of your possessions, you might as well weep and mourn and wail now because that's where this is going. Your life's a vapor. It's a puff of smoke. But you were made for eternity. It's nothing more than normal to say, Jesus saved me for eternity. While you live like today is all there is. Don't misunderstand me and don't misunderstand James. James is not asking the question, do you give money to the church? That may be part of your answer. It should be part of your answer. Invest in your finances and places that God's working. If you don't see that as a worthwhile financial investment, you probably do need to examine your heart. And if your heart's pure, you might need to examine the places that you're attending or thinking about giving, right? But that's not all James has in mind here. Remember, he's not just talking about your money. He's talking about all our possessions. Do they point toward outward and upward and onward things or just inward things? I'll give you one example. I know a guy who decided that his dining room table was going to be the most valuable piece of furniture in his house because he and his wife wanted to reflect the value of hospitality and neighboring. He said, I'm the only one that's going to sit on my sofa. It doesn't have to be awesome. I'm the only one that's going to sleep on my bed. It doesn't have to break the bank. But when my neighbors come over, they're going to eat at that table in that room. And I want them to feel valued and welcome and comfortable at my table. That's a guy who's thinking through a spiritual lens when he goes out to buy furniture. I mean, that's a guy that has possessions that are not a distraction. Because he's aimed everything he has five billion years into the future. Okay, here's the point. God hasn't saved us for eternity so that we can find our hope on this earth. If we don't plan our lives different from the rest of the world, if we as Christ followers don't manage our possessions differently from the rest of the world, we will find ourselves normal in a pressurized, tension-filled world. And James's question, my question, I hope your question, is why would I ever want normal in a world that looks like this? So let me ask you to do this as we close. Sometime this afternoon, maybe even before you go anywhere from here, I want to ask you to pull out two things. If you're married, pull them out with your spouse. Find your calendar and find your checkbook. What's a checkbook? 
Find your budget, your credit card statement, your bank statement, whatever it is. If you have kids, talk about those two things generally together. For each of them, take an honest look and ask yourself the question. If I, or if we, looked at this calendar or this bank statement and this checkbook and it didn't have my name on it, where would I say that this person's life was aimed? Is this a person who may have good intentions that are being left behind in a world of distractions? Or is this the kind of person that's pointed in the direction of eternity? The kind of person who's going to be free to live free under pressure, come what may tomorrow, in a pressurized, tension-filled world. When it comes to developing spiritual strength, don't just settle for good intentions that get lost in a world of distractions. Look beyond the season, beyond the tension, beyond the pandemic or the persecution. Have an eternal plan for your plans, your possessions, and you'll be unflappable under the circumstances, even when the pressure comes your way. Would you bow your head with me? Hey, this morning, if you've never connected with Christ, that's the most important thing that you can hear today. God wants to give you eternal hope that you can count on for 5 billion years. He's made it possible. Jesus came to the earth and gave his life so that he could give you life and hope and forgiveness and an inheritance that far surpasses anything you're hanging on to here. He paid for it and he offers it to you as a gift that can be received right where you're at this morning, simply by transferring the weight of your trust from you what you can do or perform or perfect or plan to him, what he's already done. That hope can be yours this morning. It's as simple as right where you sit, telling him that you're trusting him, his payment for your life, and you're receiving eternal hope from him today. And Lord, for all of us, would you let us be people who walk out that trust with our plans, that we hold it all with an open hand, recognizing that you are a God who is good, who is in control of all of the outcomes and variables, who sees us and knows us and loves us and can use us in a pressurized, tension-filled world. And would you let us live the same way with our possessions? Would you let us be people that send them forward, all of the relationships, all of the investments that we make, to be investments in people and the promises of God, which will last forever and ever. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Doxology Bible Church podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and give a review on iTunes. If you're ever in the Fort Worth area, we'd love to worship with you in person at one of our services. For more information on service times and location, visit doxology.church. Thanks for listening to the Doxology Bible Church podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and give a review on iTunes. If you're ever in the Fort Worth area, we'd love to worship with you in person at one of our services. For more information on service times and location, visit doxology.church.